0: Amen. 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 Look at your neighbor and say, I'm glad you came to church today. You may be seated. We are are, uh, continuing and finishing actually our series on um, the person of of Daniel. And uh, as we've been studying, uh, Daniel lived some 600 years before. Uh, Jesus walked on the face of this earth, and and you know many of us know the stories of Daniel because Daniel in the lion 's den, and uh, even as little children if you if you grew up in church and went to Sunday school, you remember that 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 wonderful story but that 's usually about how far it goes that that we know about uh, the person of Daniel, but Daniel was an incredible individual who trusted God through some incredible uh, hardships and trials and and Daniel was you know, stripped and taken away from Israel and brought to the country of Babylon. And, and God judged Israel because of their backsliding, because of their waywardness away from God. God allowed this country of Babylon to come in and take the people of Israel exile to this foreign country. And, and Daniel was one of these young men, very young at the time, that was taken to Babylon some 600 years before Christ. And uh, he was taken away and immersed in their culture. He was very smart. He was good-looking. He got a perfect score on his SAT. This guy, he was, he was the cream of the crop. And Daniel lived in Babylon, on, and, and basically he lived under Nebuchadnezzar, who was the king of, of, ba- of Babylon at the time. And then eventually the Medo-Persian Empire would take over uh, Babylon, and he would serve under a new king, King Darius, and this is kind of where we pick up the story because we're 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 at the end of towards the end of Daniel's life. At this time, Daniel's probably eighty or ninety years old, living under this Persian Empire, and I believe this chapter that we're going to study today in the book of of Daniel kind of epitomizes. Uh, everything that we've been learning over the last six weeks. And this is the thing that I don't want us to, 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 to not skip over or not understand. Because I believe what Daniel went to speaks to us for, for our day and our age that we're living in today. Daniel was this person who sought after God, but yet lived in a very godless society. Very anti-God And here Daniel is shown favor by God. He's he's in a place of prominent power in this country, in Babylon and in the Medo-Persian Empire, where where he's one of the highest ranking officials. But yet his faith is continually tested as he lives for God in, in that godless society. And here's the thing that I don't want us to miss. As we live in our society today and as we see things change so quickly, how many of us know that things seem to change every week. <laughs> There's something new that comes up, something that, that's in our culture that just kind of, as, if, if, as a follower of Jesus, you're, you're like, wow, what is, what is happening? And, and how much has changed even over the last five years? And, and, and how do we deal with this as, as followers of Jesus? And, and how do we still have a voice in, in our culture and not shrink back? But yet, yet have a voice that is heard and not marginalized. Have a voice that doesn't seem self-righteous, and, and I think that that's been the problem for many Christians in our society. Is that when when we we, we speak, it, it comes off as very self-righteous, and people marginalize us, and there's a lot of hatred towards that. And I believe. Daniel's attitude and the way he dealt with his society, we need to learn that today. So what I did was I've brought in a mirror today. My wife doesn't know this. I took it off our walls, so she will in second service. And, and I brought in some binoculars um, today to make sure that people in the back row aren't sleeping. So just, just ch- no, I'm just... And w- what I want us to do here today, the reason why I brought in a mirror and binoculars, I think... And I'm just going to speak to us as Christians, and I'm sorry if I sound harsh, but, but I believe we need to wake up a little bit. And, and I, I believe we need to understand what's going on around us and how our hearts need to change. I think the problem, and, and, and this is a problem in my life, I'll speak to myself, is that I tend to look through binoculars at our world and not first look in the mirror. And, and if, if, if we're going to have a voice in our culture... If people are even going to listen to us, we have to first look in the mirror. We have to first look at our own hearts. And I believe what we're going to learn in Daniel chapter 9 today, this is incredible the way Daniel looked at his own life first and how he lived his life before the Lord. And I believe that's what gave him a platform. That's what gave him a voice to even begin to speak into his culture because he first looked in the mirror. And I think for many times as Christians, we're too busy looking through binoculars at our world and, and trying to look at all the problems and all the issues and everything that everybody's doing wrong. And meanwhile, we're not even looking at our own hearts And are we walking in humility before our God? And so I want to make sure that as I believe this is what capulates the whole message of of the book of of Daniel is is Daniel's heart. And I know many of you, you've studied the book of Daniel. And I love the book of Daniel because the book of Daniel has so much biblical prophecy. and, and, And Daniel chapter 9 is probably one of my favorite chapters in all the book of Daniel because it basically he gives there's biblical prophecy that's given to Daniel that kind of outlines the whole end of time. So it's just an incredible chapter. And we've talked about that before, but at the beginning of Daniel chapter nine is what I want to look at because this is where we see Daniel's heart. And this is where we see Daniel looking in the mirror at his own life. And so that's what I, I want to look at today. And and it, when, when we look at things that seem like they're changing so quickly, I know it's easy for us just to get frustrated and just want to point at the world and say the problems with the world. But I think we first have to look at our own hearts and say, first of all, the, the problem starts with me and I have to change and my heart has to change. And I have to look at this world through new lenses and I have to look at this world through the lenses, how God sees the world. And that's, that's my prayer Um, For you today and I want to start by just looking at Jeremiah chapter 29 and the reason why I want to start with Jeremiah chapter 29 is Jeremiah was a prophet uh, who basically gives this biblical prophecy of how long the Israelites were going to remain captive in Babylon and it was going to be for 70 years and so what Daniel was doing is Daniel's reading through this prophecy and realizes The 70 years are almost fulfilled, that that God has a purpose uh, for Israel. And here's the thing I want you to see. The reason why I believe Daniel uh, could live the way he did and to continue to serve God under very extreme circumstances is Daniel ultimately knew that God had a plan, that God wasn't done with his people. And I believe Daniel could live under those extreme situations because God had a plan and God was sovereign and God was working out his perfect will in that situation. And so and, 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 in Jeremiah 29, what we see here is we see this wonderful prophecy that Daniel is reading and this gives him hope and, and encouragement knowing that, that God is fulfilling his plan and he's going to bring his children back to Israel and I want you to look at the hope that's here because here here Daniel has been in captivity for 70 years in in this godless society he reads the word of God he sees the prophecy and this is what gives him hope Jeremiah writing this years before shows that God's plan is not ultimately for destruction but for restoration and here's what I want you to see, is that God's ultimate plan for your life is not destruction. His ultimate plan for you is to be restored back to him. That's God. That was God's plan from the beginning of the world. When man and, and Adam and Eve sinned against God and rebelled against God and sin came into the world, from the very beginning of time, God put into motion this plan of redemption to bring men back back to him. That's why, that's why this world is in the mess that it's in. We screwed up. We messed up. And then we try to, we try to patch it with, with our ways and what we think is right and we just make more of a mess of it, don't we? And God says, listen, I've done everything for you. So my plans for you are to restore you, not to harm you. See, judgment falls on those who willingly rebel against God's plan. But God's ultimate plan is for you, not to be against you. And this is the hope that gives Daniel as he's reading Jeremiah. So let's look at Jeremiah 29. Let me just read verses 4. 10 through 14. Great. Many of you know this passage, but I love this. It says, this is what he reads. This is what Daniel is reading while in captivity. He reads this verse, and this is what it says. This is what the Lord says. When the 70 years are completed for Babylon, Daniel is in Babylon now. It's at the end of the 70 years. He sees this. He understands this scripture. It says, I will come to you and fulfill my gracious promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me. And I will listen to you. Everybody say amen. That's, that's good stuff right there. Verse 13, you will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. And here's the promise. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back from captivity. And I will gather you from all the nations and places where I've banished you, declared the Lord. And I will bring you back to that place from which I carried you into exile. I was, I was reading this verse this morning. Um, I was thinking about how sin carries us away. And all of us have been in that place where sin has carried us away. We've gone to places we shouldn't have gone to. We've said things we shouldn't have done. We've done things that we shouldn't have done. And, and for a time, it seems so good. And a time, it, it seems so right. And then sin just kind of carries away until we, get, until we get to this place where we're like, how did I get here? It's like if you've ever been swimming in the ocean and there's, and there's an undertow or there's a current. I remember many times swimming in the ocean and, and my family or Kathleen would be on, on the beach and me and the boys would be swimming or whatever and, and my daughter. And all of a sudden we're way, down, we're like way far away from where we started because the current just slowly but surely carried us away from where we originally were. That's exactly what sin does. And what God is saying to Israel, listen, sin carried you away. You rebelled against me, but I have plans for you. I have a promise for you that if you call on my name and you come back to me, I'm going to restore you. God says, I see you. I see you going down the beach. I see you. I see you sailing away because I've got plans for you. If you call on me, if you call for help, I'll bring you back and I'll restore you. Listen, some of you may be here today and you're not where you're supposed to be. Sin has carried you away, and you know it. Here's the hope that you have today in the God's word that he says, I'll bring you back. Call on me, and I'll bring you back. Isn't that, isn't that wonderful words of hope and security that we have in God's word? And so what does Daniel do? He reads this, and you would think that Daniel, living under these conditions in this godless society, you would think Daniel would kind of gloat like, oh, God's God's going to restore. God's going to get back at, at these people. You would think he would say, hey, Babylon is getting what's coming to her. Payback time. The Medes and the Persians are going to give you what you gave us. How do you like it? But that's not what happens. That's not the way... Daniel reacts to this prophecy at all. Here's how Daniel reacts to the prophecy. He doesn't, he doesn't speak judgment to Babylon in that society. He doesn't say, ha ha, God's going to get you now. And this is what you get for living the way you have lived. And this is what you get for taking us exile and treating us the way you did. This is not what he says. Look at at Daniel chapter 9. Let me read for you Daniel chapter 9. Let's look how Daniel reacts to this prophecy. Here is Daniel's prayer. I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'm going to read verses 2 through 7 and then verses 20 through 23. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but when you have time later, read the whole thing because it's just an incredible prayer. Here's Daniel's prayer after reading these verses. Let's start with uh, chapter 2. Uh, verse 2, chapter 9. It says, In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, talking about the first year of King Darius after the uh, the Medo-Persian Empire took over Babylon, he goes, I understood from the scriptures, according to the Lord, given to Jeremiah the prophet, which we just read, that's what, he, that's what Daniel just read, that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. So I turned to the Lord and And what does he do? Does he gloat? No. He says, I turned to the Lord and I pleaded with him in prayer and petition and fasting and sackcloth and ashes. And I prayed to the Lord, my God, and, and confessed. Listen to his prayer. He says this, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with all those who love him and obey his commands. Listen to what he says. Verse five. He says, does he point the finger? Where's my binoculars? Does he point the finger at Babylon and start looking through the binoculars? No! What does he do? He looks in the mirror. Listen to this. This is incredible. I forgot what verse that was on. Oh, verse 5. He said, What does he say? We have sinned and we've done wrong. He doesn't blame it on them, he looks in the mirror. We have been wicked and we've rebelled. Listen, we, 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 we. have turned away from the commands, your commands and laws. We have not listened to, to your servants and your prophets who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes and our fathers and to all the people of the land. What does he say? Lord, he doesn't blame God. He says, what does he say? Lord, you... Are righteous. But this day we're covered with shame. The men of Judah and the people of Jerusalem and all Israel, both near and far, and all the countries where you have scattered us because of our unfaithfulness to you. When you have time later, read the, all the rest of that chapter because it's just wonderful. And then look at verse 20. It says, And while I was speaking and praying, confessing, my sins. D- Daniel not only confessed the sins of his countrymen, but he's confessing his own sins. Now, you, you think, well, Daniel didn't do anything wrong. Daniel understood that he needed to look in the mirror too. So he confesses his own sin and the sin of the people of Israel, making my request to the Lord God to his holy hill. And while I was still in prayer, Gabriel, the man I had seen in an earlier vision, came to me in swift flight about the time of the evening sacrifice he instructed me and said to me Daniel i have now come to give you insight and understanding and as, soon as you be- and as soon as you began to pray an answer was given which i have come to tell you for you are highly esteemed therefore consider the message and understand the vision and then read the rest of this one day we'll unpack this again because this is this is like one of the most incredible chapters in all of the bible concerning end time prophecy and and what is going to happen at the end of times. And this is what Daniel's given. After he confesses the sins of his people and himself, all of a sudden God gives to him this incredible vision of what will happen in the end times. And he outlines his plan before Daniel. If this doesn't give him hope, I don't know what will. God says, I'm going to come back and restore everything. There will come an anointed one that is going to come and restore everything who is Jesus Christ. Incredible words of prophecy. But what I want to concentrate on here is Daniel's reaction to the prophecy of Jeremiah and how Daniel reacted to this. This is what amazes me about this very verse. Daniel knew God's judgment would come upon Babylon. Jeremiah 25:12 says this: But when the 70 years are fulfilled, I will punish the king of Babylon and his nation in the land of the Babylonians for their guilt, declares the Lord, and I will make it desolate forever. Daniel knew God's judgment was going to come upon Babylon. How does Daniel react? Daniel's first reaction was not to look through binoculars, but to look in the mirror. And what got Israel into the place that they were? What well, was their own sin? Their rebellion against God. And what does Daniel do? He confesses his own sin and the sins of his people. He looks in the mirror and humbles himself before God. People, listen. If we're going to have any impact in our culture today, we must have the same heart. We must have the very same heart of Christ that Jesus came to serve and not be served. Jesus came with this heart of humility that said, I am here to serve. And unless we have that same heart of humility, I believe we will have no voice in our culture today. And so we must first look in the mirror. I remember um, I was flying not too long ago and I, I was by myself. I was coming back from a conference in Atlanta and I remember I was on the plane and there's this poor mom with two kids and and it was it was just the kid, one, I think one was two, and she she had like a six-month-old, and they were crying and just, I don't want, you know, it was just loud. And, then, and so I'm, I, she was a couple rows in front of me, and I just felt so bad for her. And, and I remember someone uh, just whispering to the person next to them by the seats I was in saying, jo- doesn't she know how to control her children? And I'm looking at her going, are you kidding? Do you even have, do you, you know, because I remember those days. Because that's why when we traveled, we always put Benadryl in their Kool-Aid and their sippy cups. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Kidding. Never did that ever. Okay. Um, You know, and then I heard this one guy go, he goes this way. He goes, I couldn't believe it. I just, I want to say something, but I didn't. And I almost slipped Benadryl in his drink. No, no, I'm just teasing. He said this. He said, he said, if I could just have five minutes with those kids, I would straighten them out. I'm like, well, okay, go ahead. I felt like, looking at him, go, okay, then you do it, the poor mom. See, what happens is if we're not careful, right? And we've all done this, right? We look through the binoculars. We look at what everybody else is doing, and it's easy to point the finger at everybody else. See, our job as parents are to discipline our own children, not someone else's. See, and spiritually... We can see the same thing as we open up the Bible. Spiritually, we can see the same thing as we open up the Bible. You see, Daniel understood that God's discipline starts with his people. That's what he understood. Daniel understood that God's discipline starts with his people. Daniel lived in a very ungodly society, but his prayer started with himself. And yes, God would deal with Babylon and the Persians of the world, but he, he first needed to deal with his own. And so what can we learn from Daniel's response? Because this is what I want us to just to dive in today with the time that we have left. I, I want us to look at what we can learn from, from Daniel's response. And if we're going to have a voice in this world, we have to understand this first. What did Daniel understand? Well, Daniel understood this one thing that repentance starts with me. First Peter four one says this. It says, "For it is time for judgment to begin with God's household, and if it begins with us, what will what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God?" You see, before we look at the, our neighbor's yard, we need to make sure that our grass is mowed first. See, and, and, I, and I call this the, the dust bunny syndrome. And, and What's the dust bunny syndrome? Well, well, dust bunnies are these little balls of dust that, especially if you have hardwood floors, you understand this. They collect and they blow around the floor, and, and we can get so used to them that we become oblivious to them. We don't even know that they're there. And when someone else comes in to to, to our home, they're so easily uh, they can easily pick out the dust bunnies and the issues that are in our home. And I believe what can happen as believers, if we're not careful, is we end up looking at our our society and we look at all the dust bunnies in our society and all the problems and there's issues. We know it. There's problems. But here's the issue. Our hearts can easily become hardened by our own sin while we look at the sins of others. Hearts can easily become hardened by our own sin while we look at the sins of others, just like we don't notice the dust bunnies in our house because we see them over and over and over again until someone else comes in and points them out. The person that is most blind in your life is you. We all have blind spots. You know, and and, and I, I know we want to feel like we're so self oh, oh, we have all this self-awareness about us. That's why accountability is good at times. That's why it's good to be that's why it's good to ask your spouse once in a while and say, Hey, go easy on me. But is there something that you see in my life that's going off track? See, in most times we are afraid to be accountable because we're afraid of the answer. Don't ask a question unless you don't want to hear the answer. And sometimes we need to ask the questions to other people because we can be so blind in our life. And if we're not careful, we end up living that way and living that way till we fall into a pit of destruction because we didn't want to listen to anybody. You see, Israel didn't want to listen to God. They just kept going their way in their hardness and their rebellion until God had to judge them in order to bring them back. So repentance has to start with us. It must start with us saying, you know, and, and this is a good prayer. A good prayer is, is just to say, God, reveal to me the things that I'm blinded to in my own life. What are the things in my life? That I'm oblivious to God and reveal them through your Holy Spirit. Sometimes God will will reveal that through other people, right? And so many times when we hear criticism, it may be 99% wrong, but there might be that one little percent that's correct, right? Look for that 1%. Say, God, I know maybe they're mostly wrong, but there might be some 1% in there that, that is true. God, let me look for that one true thing So that doesn't blindside me later. Repentance starts with us. Here's the second thing I I want you to see that that we need to be careful of. Don't become overconfident in your goodness or successes. See, Daniel didn't rely on his goodness or his success. He didn't rely on those things. He didn't say, God, why are you doing this? Look how good I've been, God. God. Why are you doing this? Look how good I've been. Look at the place that I'm in. I mean, Daniel, when he was thrown in the lion's den, was in, a, was in the highest prominent position in the country. But yet, because he wouldn't bow down and pray to any other God but his God, he got thrown in the lion's den. He didn't say, God, why are you doing this to me? He trusted God by faith to believe that he's the only one that could deliver him. There's a really interesting story in Joshua chapter 7. The Israelites are wandering through the wilderness and the desert for 40 years after 400 years of captivity in in Egypt. Finally, they get into the promised land. And their first objective is to conquer the city of Jericho, which has huge. uh, It was a huge fortified walled city. And it just seemed impossible to defeat Jericho. And uh, basically, God said, listen, I want you to march around Jericho For seven days, and in the last of the seventh days, I I, I want you to march around seven times. I want you to blow your trumpet. And I'm sure the people of Jericho were looking down at the walls and saying, hey, thanks for all the music. Thanks for the praise music. Really good stuff. And they were probably making fun of them because they're they're never going to defeat us. Our wall is too big. It's too strong. It's too thick. There's no way they're going to defeat us. And they trusted God, and they believed God. And what happened? Well, as they walked around, uh, God caused the, the walls to collapse. And what we've found in archaeological studies is that the account of Joshua actually is accurate. That the scriptures tell us that the walls fell flat or literally under itself. And what evidence has found for us is that the wall fell in a way that it actually created a ramp. So that the Israelites could go into the city and defeat it. Great victory. Awesome victory. But what happened next was disheartening because the next city they were to to fight against in the promised land or the land of Canaan was the city of Ai. And this was a small town and this was going to be a piece of cake. And when they went to scout out the town, uh, they said to Joshua, hey, this is going to be a piece of cake. We don't even need to bring all our men. We'll defeat them. No problem. Well, what happened was this little city of Ai defeated them. They were humiliated. And there's this one man named Achan who who knew better than to take any of the plunder. And God says, I don't want you to take any of the plunder. I only want you to take this part and use it in the temple treasury. That's it. Don't take anything else. And this man kept some things for himself, hid it under his tent. And uh, that was the reason why they were defeated, because of this man's rebellion against God and listening to the Lord. And because of Aiken's sin, 36 men lost their lives in AI, and Aiken and his family lost their lives. Now I don't know what was going on in Aiken's heart at the time. Maybe he thought I deserved it. Maybe he felt entitled to it. Maybe he thought God would overlook it. I don't know. But here's the thing I, we need to understand. It's about obedience. And God says, listen, I care about your holiness. We don't get to pick and choose what we like and what we don't like. God says, I care too much about your lives and your holiness. And I think what happens is is that we can get stuck in our successes and the things that we've done good in our lives. And we rely on those things. And those are the very things that can destroy us. See, here's one of the biggest dangers that that we can face is that some of our greatest defeats come on the heels of our greatest victories. Some of our greatest defeats come on the heels of our greatest victories. Why? Because we become overconfident. And sometimes God will use the world to prune us and to humble us. Hebrews 12, 5, and 6 says this, and have I forgotten, and have you forgotten the exhortation that, that, that addresses you as sons? My sons, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the ones he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. So how can we, how can we walk in this world, how can we walk in humility and, and guard our hearts against relying on our own goodness or our own strength, what, what, what can we do? Well, here's, here's some of the examples I believe that we can pull out of Daniel chapter 9 and in, in, in Daniel's prayer here. I believe your greatest strength is recognizing your weakness. I know that's totally counter to what the world would say. Right, you, you would, you know, when when you go into a job interview, they always ask you, "Well, tell me what your strengths are," right? And then and then you know you blah blah blah, and then they say, "Well, tell me what your weaknesses are." Well, my weaknesses are I just work too hard, you know. My weaknesses, I come in too early and I stay too late. Right? That's what we that's what we, we want them to, to. We're not going to share our true weaknesses because we 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 want to get the job. You see, Daniel chose to admit his sin before God. Daniel chose to be vulnerable before God. He chose this. Daniel is in this prominent position in this country, and he chose to be vulnerable before the Lord, recognizing his own weakness and his own sin. This is where we say, you know what? I don't have it all together. I make mistakes and I need God's help. So when we become vulnerable for the Lord, that's when he truly gives us his strength and his, his grace to live in this world. Listen, I believe one of our greatest strengths when we live in the world, I think sometimes as Christians, we want to give this, this aura about ourselves that we never have any problems, right? That we don't have issues. Right, And when we come to church, we're always like, hey, how you doing, bro? Oh, I'm doing good. Praise the Lord. Doing great. Hallelujah. Right? We're all, everybody's wonderful. Everybody's fine. We smell good. We look good. Everything's right, right. And meanwhile, we're hurting inside. Why is that? That shouldn't be the church. We're a bunch of hurting people. Who said the church was supposed to be a perfect place? It's not. It's a messy place, and it should be. Because we all have our weaknesses, we all have our struggles, and we all need a Savior to help us. I believe Jesus loves that kind of a heart that's willing to admit that we struggle, that we don't have it all together all the time. Don't you love when you talk to somebody and when you talk to them and they share their weaknesses with you? Don't you just relate to that kind of person? You're like, yeah. I can relate to that. Thank you for sharing. I feel so much better. And then when you talk to somebody, oh, yeah, all my kids are doing great, and they're perfect, and they have no problem. They get straight A's and blah, blah, blah. And you walk away and say, oh, my God, what's wrong with my kids, right? <laughs> Where did I go wrong, right? See, one of the greatest assets we have living in this world is admitting our faults. I believe that's one of the greatest assets we have living in this world is admitting our faults. That's what we can gather from Daniel's prayer in chapter 9. You see, I think one of the biggest mistakes Christians make when dealing with those who are not Christians is trying to change their behavior without God first changing their hearts. See, the problem is, we walk into the world, we walk in with binoculars, and we see people not doing what they're supposed to be doing. We want to change everybody's behavior. Well, you shouldn't do that. You shouldn't say that, or blah, 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 blah. And then people just said, well, who are you, right? I can remember when I worked at Kodak one summer as a roofer. had no idea what I was doing. But my dad worked at Kodak, so he said, Barton, they hire college help. Do you want to help? Sure. Well, I didn't realize I got put with the roofers. That was a fun summer. Right, And then once they found out that I, was, that I was studying to be a pastor, it was a whole, like, they just they just gave it to me, right? And so I remember just working with these guys. And most of these guys were good guys. But, you know, they, it was total construction talk eight hours a day, right? Just, just, right? And so I remember being there. And I just wouldn't, I would just, wouldn't say a word. I just did my job. I tried to do it the best way I did. Because I knew if I ever said anything, you know, After a while, once I got to know the guys really well, I just call them all perverts. I said, You guys are all a bunch of perverts, and that's all. And so we'd had fun with it. But you know, um, at first I didn't say word, and I remember there was a guy on the job site who worked there for years. And there was something different about this guy. And I remember watching him, and he wouldn't he he just he was a hard worker, but he wouldn't say a lot. And he he never he wasn't laughing at the jokes. He, um, he, he never said anything to, to them personally. They all knew him and he, he was very cordial and very nice. And one week and then two weeks and I watched, I go, man, there's something different about this guy. There's something different about this guy. And then come to find out later, I was eating lunch one time and he, 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 he came up to me and he said, Barn, I want to tell you something. I said, yeah. He said, I've been praying for you. And he goes, "I know it's been hard for you." And he goes, "I've been working with these guys for years." And he goes, "I'm a follower of Jesus." And I go, "I knew there was something, I knew there was something different about you. You know, I I, I could tell you weren't." And he goes, "Listen." He goes, "Let me just give you a piece of it. Adv- let me just give you a little wisdom here because I know this has been tough for you." And he goes, "And I've been watching you and and he goes, "I know it's it's been a struggle and I know they've been picking on you and stuff." He goes, he goes, "But let me just say this." He goes, The best witness you can be to these guys is don't try to change their behavior. You live it before them. He goes, just live it before them. Don't, 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 don't. He he goes, he goes, what's going to happen? He goes, I'm telling you, what's going to happen is this. He goes, someone's going to turn around and they're going to ask you questions because they're all searching. But the reason why they're hard on you is because they can see right through hypocrisy. They've seen the other so-called Christian guys that said they were Christians and preached at them and then didn't really live it. He goes, they see that all the time. This guy was one of the most wisest Christians I've ever met. Older man that just loved Jesus. He didn't give in to their behavior. He wasn't a chameleon. He goes, these guys see chameleons all the time. And I can remember it was like three weeks before I finished the job, before I had to go back to school. There's this one guy who was one of the just orchestrated all the guys to really say nasty things. And he was one that was really tough on me. And I remember one time we were on break and he came up to me and... He goes, hey, Barron, can I talk to you And I said, sure. And he said, uh, I go, don't hurt me. No, He's uh, a big guy. And he says, no, he goes, can I, I want to talk to you And I said, yeah. He goes, you know what? I'm, I'm going through a divorce with my wife. And he goes, would you pray for me? I'm so glad I listened to Ken. You see, I think sometimes we think the louder our voices, the more people are going to listen doesn't work that way I think when we actually serve people and love people and show them the love of Christ we have a voice to be heard then when we do speak that they hear us they hear us they hear us I think so many people, when they hear Christians, they just stick their fingers in their ears because they're just, it comes off as judgmental or self righteous. Because I believe the more, the more we are honest with people, the more we are received. You see, Jesus hung out with the very people that we would tend to shun and if we're going to influence our world we must do it with humility and it's got to start with us so i would say if we're going to learn anything from this whole 6 weeks of this daniel series i would say i would just i would summarize it by saying this instead of pointing the finger at the world and shouting at it how bad it is and boycotting everything as if that will do anything Let's follow Daniel's example and humble ourselves for those that Jesus actually came to die for. And I think we tend to forget that Jesus came into our messy world and that he actually lived among us and Jesus actually ate and hung out with sinners. Daniel lived out his faith without alienating himself from his world. So here's, here's, here's the question I want to leave you with today. What are ways that you can serve those around you, not just in the church, but those who are not part of the church? See, our whole job and our whole calling is to bring those in who don't belong yet. Isn't that funny? The organization of the church is the only organization that exists for people who don't belong. Isn't that cool? It's the only organization in the whole world that actually exists for people who don't belong. I like that. I just can't walk over to Oak Hill and play golf. I would love to. I could, but I'd be arrested, right? Or be thrown off. Why? Because I don't belong. It exists for its... Ah. The church doesn't exist for its members. I always tell you all the time that if you're a member of, of Living Word, membership does not have its privileges. In fact, when you become a member here, you lose your privileges. You lose your rights, right? So we exist for those who have not yet belong. Let's have that attitude. When we look in our world and the places where we work and our neighbors and so on and so forth, let's keep looking at ways to bring them in, to reconcile them back a loving Savior who came to die for them. So, Lord, we just ask that you would bend our hearts today to first look in the mirror at our own lives, our own dust bunnies, before we even begin to look into this world. I pray that we would live out our faith before you. Let the world see that we're different by how we treat one another. Jesus, you even said that they will know that you are my disciples by how we love one another. That's the example. And so, Lord, I just pray that you would speak to our hearts. You would speak to our hearts for that coworker, that neighbor, that family member who has not yet belonged, that we would continually reach out to them, God. So we thank you for this example that we've seen in Daniel and how he lived his life out before you. Thank you that ultimately we have an example in Christ Jesus who came to serve and not be served. Help us to walk in that. Thank you for your patience with us and your grace that you give us when we do make mistakes. You're so caring and you're so loving. Thank you that your purpose in our lives is about restoration. So thank you. Restore our hearts again, God. Let us have fresh perspective. Let us see through fresh lenses as the way we look into our world today, God. Give us a heart of compassion for this world that you died for. We thank you, and we love you, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Let's stand, let's sing this song.